Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. Always a pleasure. Okay, as with every episode, we're, we have four segments. We start off with feedback, answering your speculation and emails and have observations from, you know, the last week. You can write us at peter.com. We go into our brief thoughts, then into the detailed breakdown and into speculation. So we're going to start things off with our feedback segment. Cade writes in. The warrior Tuscan and the young Tuscan are still alive. They're prisoners of the Nick two gang for sure. We only saw the chief's body. And besides there were not too many bodies left considering how many Tuscans lived in that camp. I think the warrior Tuscan is going to become the new chief perhaps. Well, Cade, I think this episode proves that they were uh, at least captive of the, uh, the biker gang, right? What do you guys think? Do you think there's any chance they're alive and held captive somewhere? I mean, yeah, I think it's possible. And I think that would maybe be a nice surprise for Boba to see that uh, maybe they're not all dead. You would think that he would probably be observant enough to notice if maybe there's the chance that the key people of the tribe, especially like the chief, might have survived, though. Um, So I don't know. It's possible, but I'm thinking maybe not likely. Yeah, I feel like he wouldn't be blindsided by that because he would notice that there was bodies missing. We're talking about a guy who was blindsided by a blind guy with a stick, though. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not as if he was like standing and like observing, looking for Han Solo waving a staff around. He was aiming a shot somewhere else and got hit in the back on his jetpack. So, <laughs> but, but point taken um, nonetheless. <laughs> um, no, I think it's possible, but I also think if there were that many extra people there, maybe he's not necessarily, it's not like he's taken a census of all the bodies there and he's just uh, burning them too. So he does have quite a funeral pyre. I think it's possible they're around again. 
in a universe that resurrected Darth Maul, anybody can come back from anything, especially as we look at the next episode where we actually see him bring Fennec Shand back. Yeah. You know, I, I will admit when I got this email the day after we posted last week's episode, I was like, we were so stupid. Why did we not make this this prediction on the podcast? And then when, when I was watching the episode last night, I was like, oh, the, the gang's dead. There's no way this is true. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could still be alive. I, I, I would like to think that this Tuscan tribe could somehow live on on Tatooine, but maybe that's just hopeful, wishful thinking. So, um, okay. Uh, next email comes from Joseph J, who writes in, since Wookiee culture involves a life debt, do you think... We could see Black K come back to pledge his life to Boba Fett, Alahan, and Chewbacca. Uh, Boba did free him instead of selling him back to the gladiators, after all. But that, that's not—that's the difference of him. That's not him saving his life, right? I mean, it is. I think um, taking some, take having someone give you possession of a person and then give them their freedom back—that's giving them their life back, especially after they've been like, we don't care what you do with them, just murder him. And I mean, Boba Fett could have done anything to, to black or Sanson at that, at that point. Um, so I do think that that's possible, but I don't get the impression, especially after this episode that Kersantan really cares about Wookiee tradition other than just killing Trandoshans. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Matthew F writes in from Canada. He says, I think, that it makes a lot of narrative sense to have Omega eventually appear in the book of Boba Fett. However, I don't think we will see that until after the bad batch is concluded as knowing her fate would remove all or would remove a lot of the tension from the bad batch series. Of course, Omega has a history of Fennec Shand and Omega appearing would hopefully give Fennec more to do than just be a sidekick. Anyways, I think Omega will appear and they'll swap tips about writing Vrinkors as a callback joke. Uh, Brian, since you are the only one who, here who has seen the full season of the Bad Batch, what do you think? Do you think the fact that they have a new another season coming up might preclude her from appearing in this season? No, um, because I, I know that they've been working on these two things together, hand in glove, which is why you see Fennec Shand across bad batch and um you know across bad batch and book of boba fett and mandalorian as well and fennec has a really compelling tie to omega my thing is is narratively a correct me if i'm wrong but we're thinking this is a of this is a limited series and we have three episodes left I just don't think there's enough runway for them to drop a bomb like Omega. On the other hand, they just dropped Luke Skywalker in the last five minutes of uh, <laughs> Mandalorian. So again, like anything is possible, but Luke Skywalker has a lot more name and face recognition than Omega does. You you really think that this is the limited series, that this is going to be one season? Brad, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be multiple seasons or is this it? Um, That's a good question. I feel like it probably will be multiple seasons. I, I have a feeling that this show will probably run alongside the Mandalorian and like there'll be, you know, another crossover between characters and presumably it would also run into uh, Ahsoka at some point as well. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if it's successful enough and, and you know, Lucasfilm wants to, that they, they can easily continue it into a, a new season. Okay, let's, um, oh, there was one last thing I wanted to bring up. I, I watched this video from Star Wars Explained. I feel like I've been uh, name-checking him every episode we've been doing this for this series. But uh, he was talking about how last week that uh, when Boba Fett gets the Rancor, it's explained that uh, the Rancor is a calf bred from champions for fighting. And Star Wars uh, Explained uh, basically made the comparison that it's, it's, again, a reflection of Fett himself. You know, he he was a calf bred from champions for fighting, but there's more to him than that, and uh, they can be good companions. I, I don't know. It was, it was an observation that I felt like uh, we didn't get to last week, so I wanted to just throw that out there i thought that was uh interesting so um okay let's get into our brief thoughts on this week's episode brian i feel like we never start things off with you so what are your brief thoughts on chapter four i you know i think this is another one of those episodes where it's just sort of spoon feeding and showing a lot of stuff they've already told us um but they did it in a really fun way i think the action sequences in this were really cool um uh, especially the the invasion of Jabba's palace. And I think they gave us a little bit more uh, depth in what Boba Fett's like meaning is and his change of character. And I still don't necessarily see how he's getting to be so benevolent, uh, but I do understand the whole like idiots who are in charge of us are going to get us killed and we should stop doing that. So it's <laughs> it feels like it's building more toward having some overall thematic meaning. And and that's really the thing I've been struggling with with this whole series so far. But uh, this was this was fine. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, I like that this episode finally gives Fennec Shand some something to do. Like it, it, it gives um, more of a spotlight on her uh, in a way this. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm whelmed by this episode. It's not, I'm not underwhelmed. I'm not overwhelmed. <laughs> like it, it just just whelmed. I feel like this series so far for me feels like a Star Wars book that is trying to fill in the gaps of everything we want to know that happened in between the things that we saw and the other thing, which uh, I, I feel like happened more and, you know, uh, you know, decades ago than it does with the books today but i don't know i guess that's the problem for me with this show and the problem with the flashbacks is that we aren't really learning much that we didn't already know or weren't able to kind of figure out um and the more compelling parts of it like were, were like the relationship with the tuscans that was something i didn't kind of like see like I, I didn't envision that to be such a big part of the show. And that was more interesting to me. Um, I am excited that it seems like we're finally moving forward full steam ahead. It doesn't seem like we're going to have more flashbacks, but I could be wrong. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought that episode was okay. Uh, Brad, what did you think? I was not much of a fan of this episode. Um, I was pretty disappointed, actually. There's a couple parts in this episode that I actually downright hate. Um, it's just, I, the the flashbacks, now that we're away from the Tuscan Raider stuff, feel like it's just treading territory that we all could have easily assumed and didn't need to be explained. 
Um, the, the this what one in particular didn't necessarily offer anything special except bringing us back to where we started. And then once we get there, uh, it's again still pretty basic stuff. Nothing uh, all that exciting. And I, yeah, I don't know. If anything, I'm actually maybe a little bit disappointed that it seems like the flashbacks are done if only because i feel like there's an opportunity here to use the flashbacks to tell more of boba fett's story before uh return of the jedi that allow us to juxtapose what he's doing now and maybe add some some weight and reasoning to why he's doing what he's doing now and the difference between who he used to be and who he is now because right now we're only getting like a little bit of that based on his you know limited screen time in the original trilogy and what we know and presumed about him from that, from those movies. So I feel like even though star Wars doesn't necessarily have the best track record of digging into the origins of certain characters that you could do some interesting storytelling by having that juxtaposition between his past and his present. And I feel like we're not necessarily going to, to get that from now on uh, based on this episode. Um, so, yeah, I'll talk about the things I was dis- pretty disappointed in and frustrated as we move through the episode breakdown. But, uh, yeah, definitely not not really a fan of this one. Yeah, I hate to keep on harping on this, but I will. I really do wish that Boba Fett was not a character that appeared in season two of Mandalorian and that this show was uh, presented in a, a traditional narrative fashion where it's it's going uh in sequence because i feel like if it was presented in that way i wouldn't i feel like a lot of people including myself wouldn't be so impatient about wanting to catch up like it feels like we're just filling in the gaps and if we didn't have that appearance in the mandalorian if we started from the beginning it feels like it would be such a compelling ride from him escaping the sarlacc pit to uh him you know, the Tuscan thing and then like him eventually getting his armor back would be like such like a kind of cool, you know, lead into the the, the mid uh, mid season or something. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like the way it was handled to get that kind of like, oh, shit, surprise moment of Mandalorian season two and lead into like, uh, you know, advertising the book of Boba Fett. I f- feel like hurt this. I feel like the gaining of the armor was actually better on Mandalorian. Like, I think that it serves Din Djarin's story better by Din having to reflect and face all of the different interpretations of Mandalorians that people have or people who aren't Mandalorians like Boba and see them all wearing the same armor and having to figure out the differences between them. I think it served Din Djarin's character way better and I wonder if there really was no intention of doing Boba Fett until um, they started seeing it come together. I think he might be right. I don't know. I don't know. That season two seems like it's building up to him getting the, the armor back. And so you're saying like that would have been the end of his story? Yeah, like they would have just like they would have left him take off into the galaxy and we wouldn't necessarily be getting this. But him getting the armor in Mandalorian is a pretty satisfying conclusion. And and I mean, like you can go back and listen to us talking about it. That felt pretty satisfying to all of us. I mean, except for me, who was like kind of <laughs> disappointed he was alive. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying it wasn't satisfying at the time. I just feel like because we know where this whole thing was headed and then especially, I don't know, it's something about it. Did, I, I definitely see a reaction online and I'm not talking about the toxic fan reaction of like, this is not my Boba Fett kind of thing, but the reaction online of it, I don't know, the, something about the flashback and, and flash forwards is not working for people. And I think it's because we already, like, it feels like it's not filling in that many details and we already know where this is headed. And I think we're all like kind of just, let, let's let's get this thing going. But I don't know. Okay, let, let, let's get into the breakdown. Uh, this episode is directed by Kevin Tancheron. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, he is the director. Well, he was a, he was a, he started off as a choreographer for Madonna. He directed Britney Spears in the Onyx, uh, Onyx Hotel tour, and he co-created the show on MTV Dance Life. He was like a music video director for some time, and he went on to direct that uh, Mortal Kombat, Kombat uh, Legacy mini series or like a web series. And uh, he was going to direct that Mortal Kombat movie, but he pulled out of that at the last minute. And uh, for the last decade, he's been he's kind of been like directing a lot of TV shows, including uh, some some of the DC stuff over at uh, WB and stuff like that. Uh, so yes, yeah, so this is directed by him, and uh, the episode begins. Uh, Bobo is riding around the Dune Sea on his Bantha, and he's scouting out Jabba's palace, uh, but he sees that there's too many guards on duty to make his move. It seems like he's been there a, a few times waiting to see uh, how he could make his move. Uh, I will say I like the transition from the twin suns to the triple moons. Have, have we ever seen the moons before in any of the movies? Uh, Attack of the Clones uh, when Anakin is on his searchers-like raid. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so later that night, there's a there's like this nice moment where Boba gives his bantha some food, and uh, I like how they're like turning all these like and not not the banthas were at all evil. N- never did we think that they're evil, but I just love uh, I love when Star Wars creatures could be lovable, and they they really turned them into like a uh, kind of like a horse or a dog or something in this, and um, uh, I also didn't realize that Banthas had such long tongues. Have we seen that before, Brian? I don't, I don't think we've had a lot of like up close interaction with a Bantha outside of this in, in live action. Um, so yeah, this is uh, the, the Gene Simmons is really new to the canon, I think. <laughs> um, and I'll also be telling you as much as I was falling along with this Bantha, the whole time I was sitting there thinking, Oh no, I see what they're doing. They're making me love this Bantha, and just like every other episode of the series so far, they're going to kill off this Bantha, and it's going to piss me off again. And um, I'm glad I was wrong. So, <laughs> okay. So, anyways, um, uh, so Boba Fett sees this flare that ignites in the sky, and he goes to investigate. By the way, like when that flare ignites in the sky, I've played this a couple times. I can't tell if I'm right or wrong. Is there a Mandalorian music cue in the background when that happens? That was the impression I got. I felt like there were a couple of Mandalorian music cues in this episode. Um, 
but I mean, I've only watched it a couple of times and I would need to watch it more and go listen to Mandalorian to like really verify. It's always hard when you have the themes written by the same person. So maybe it is, maybe it is, but I I guess it makes sense for it to be there because then it wants you to connect you as the audience to connect the idea that this is something that we saw play out in, you know, the other show. And so he goes to investigate, he finds, Fennec Shan's body laying in the sand. This is something we saw in season one, episode five of Mandalorian. Yeah, this was the sort of end of the scene when they shot Fennec and you see, you know, Boba's foot come into frame and you hear his trademark spurs. It was interesting, actually, to see him show up without the sound of the spurs uh, here, but they did include that detail in in the first in his first appearance or maybe i just didn't hear them maybe i just missed them that's a good call um it is interesting last week we when bobo was in mos eisley and uh we saw like some some things from mandalorian um turns out that that probably was like around the same time as episode five of the Mandalorian where, where, where like that was when he saw like the stormtroopers heads through the spikes and he, uh, he met with, um, uh, who is that? Peli, uh, Peli Mato. Yeah. Peli Mato. So it, it's interesting that this episode kind of s- starts at a place that's the end of episode five. So we're kind of like going at the same pace almost as, uh, now, well, no, actually not because that's season one. But okay, anyways, um, and this is the flashback. So uh, the Book of Boba Fett, chapter four, title is revealed as the Gathering Storm. Um, trying to read meaning into this, Brian, like, I don't think there's any storms that happen on T- Tatooine. Uh, do, do you have any ideas? I mean, maybe the climax happens <laughs> in a sandstorm. Uh, of the entire uh, season, not necessarily, you know, because sandstorms are something they've been trying to get into Star Wars forever. Lucas wrote that one into Return of the Jedi and it ended up cut. Uh, he hinted and, and, and kind of showed the beginnings of one, which put Anakin, Padme, and Qui-Gon in Shmi Skywalker's hut in the slaves' quarters. Um, so yeah, there's definitely storms on Tatooine and they're pulling they're pulling the Kurosawa to a very high degree. I felt there was a lot of um there's a lot of Kurosawa in all of these episodes, but Kurosawa like one of his trademarks is really turning up the weather when things are dramatic. And so it wouldn't surprise me if the gathering storm really did culminate in that big sandstorm for the finale of this. See, I was just kidding, but I, I think you made a good case uh, because obviously the gathering storm means kind of like a build up to a battle or a war. Um, I was I did search this on Google just because, you know, I got to do my duty, even though this is like an obvious title that probably just means what we think it means. But uh, the gathering storm is the name of one of the books written by Sir Winston Churchill, and it was an, adapted into two movies. And um, it kind of is a biographical and it's about um, Churchill. He was like, this is right before World War II and he was warning his country and the world of the Nazi threat brewing and no one was like taking him seriously. Anyway, so maybe there's something there. I don't, I don't know. Maybe Favreau uh, took the, uh, took that because that, that is a, a famous book and it's been turned into two movies, but 
Or it could just be coincidence. There is a Poe Dameron comic graphic novel uh, from the Charles Soule series that is called The Gathering Storm as well. Hmm. And it, there is a hut in there. Interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. I, I, I now have uh, Marvel Unlimited now that I know that I can read things like uh, how many months uh, behind? Like only a couple months now. It's only like, yeah, it's it's not terribly long but yeah check out those charles soul poe dameron charles soul poe da- po dameron comics they're they're a lot of fun and the phil noto art is just uh it's pretty stunning okay so boba takes the unconscious fennec shand to a mod parlor on the outskirts of moss Eisley. and uh brad I'm, I'm sure you have feeling you have things to say about this um which part <laughs> <laughs> any part of it any part of this whole sequence um i mean where... <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about uh the there was a so this is okay I'll, I'll set you up here brad even better so we're we're kind of led to believe that now in the star wars universe at least in like on tatooine at this point that robotically and en- enhancements are Robot, uh, robotic enhancements are kind of like what tattoos are now on Earth. And there's this parlor that's almost like a tattoo parlor. And there's uh, when they walk in there, there's this guy with like orange um, dreadlocks. who I was like, sure, this this must have be a cameo that I don't recognize. Um, and there's like some some uh, really like cyberpunk music playing. And Brad, I just assumed that you would have something to say about this. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, I don't like the sequence. Um, here's the thing: I, I, one thing I will say is I don't mind Star Wars venturing into like unseen subcultures of the galaxy that that um, could easily exist. And so, like introducing the the concept of these mods, um, turning the idea of these mechanical bio, you know, enhancements into the equivalent of like tattoos or like. Uh, functional fashion statements, what have you. I think that's an interesting idea, but it's the style with which that they're being carried out that just feels completely unlike Star Wars, even other worlds that we've seen. And the fact that this takes place on Tatooine and doesn't even feel like it's part of the actual culture of what we've seen on Tatooine so far just feels very strange, right down to the fact that, and like, even it's the filmmaking here too that doesn't feel anything. Uh, like Star Wars, and not in a way that feels like exciting or innovative. It just feels completely out of touch with 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 Star Wars in general. Because I'm all about the franchise evolving. I'm all about the saga going into uncharted ter- territory when it comes to um, expanding the universe, doing interesting things. The same way that Ryan Johnson did with the Last Jedi. And I don't care if you don't like that. You, you like jog on. Um, but this like this feels like a scene out of the Matrix. The the music sounds like the same exact track that's being played when uh, the entire crew of the Nebuchadnezzar is gearing up and getting ready to jack back into the <laughs> matrix to get Morpheus back. Uh, the montage editing completely unlike, unlike star Wars. And it's just, it's such a weird, weird sequence. And I just, I don't understand how it got into the show or like why anyone thought it was a good idea. I, I don't have a problem with the like, idea that there's these like teenagers who are becoming robotically enhanced like i think that's kind of cool and that's kind of like i like the cyberpunk idea of it i think what bothers me the most about the sequence I, i'm actually not bothered by most of it other than maybe the cameo that i don't even understand 
Um, and for those who don't is. know, his yeah, his name is Thundercat. He's uh, like a funk, soul, R&B, um, hip-hop artist. He's been featured on Kendrick Lamar albums, and apparently he's a Star Wars fan. So I'm sure someone who liked his music and someone like that heard and probably figured out a way to get him into the show. Yeah. Um, I will say that the, the, the thing that bothered me was the music. The music just feels so out of place in this and what we've seen so far, I, I know that the galaxy is a large galaxy. There's probably lots going on in this galaxy that we've never seen and would seem weird. But uh, I don't know. Just for me, the music doesn't work. I guess for me, the cybernetic enhancements and stuff, it didn't ring false to me. A, knowing that that 60s mod aesthetic, um, that, that Quadrophenia sort of vibe to it. And knowing that cybernetic enhancements have been in Star Wars, you know, for hundreds of years, um, seeing a group of of kids doing it as a rebellious thing feels like the next logical step after the generation of Luke and his street racers in the 50s, you know, that that Lucas was going for. Um, So it's sort of in my little headcanon seemed to work. Yeah, yeah and, and and again, I don't mind the existence of it at all whatsoever. I think it conceptually it's, it's a the good execution. Idea. Yeah, right? exactly. It looks it looks like a mix between like Blade Runner and Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, I I think that was my problem last week. Which, by the way, after we talked about those like scooters or wh- whatever you want to call them, um... uh, so, someone someone online I think on Twitter called them Moss Vespas. Moss Vespas. Yeah, after we talked about that, I wasn't expecting so many people to be upset about the that that whole sequence, but like it was the talk of Twitter for a couple days. Um, but I, I took to Twitter and I was like, it, it seemed like a lot of people were like, I don't like the colors. The colors are not Star Wars. Uh, this design is not Star Wars. I'm like, no, th- that's not the problem with it at all. For me, the problem with it is not that these don't fit Star Wars. These totally fit Star Wars. They might not fit Tatooine, maybe. I could see that argument. Yeah. And number two, the, the execution of that action sequence was just just bad. But um, I, I, I do want to mention one thing that I didn't occur to me last week when we were talking is like with all these uh, youngsters doing these mods and uh, the whole group of the mods that uh, Mando kind of adopted last week, it makes more sense to me now that like, you know, his – right hand woman is a a cyborg <laughs> or you know heavily uh modified with robotic parts that he would side with you know the mods over this water guy on a on a basis of not even just uh the political nature of um where he he's coming from but uh i, I didn't even think about that that uh you know his right hand woman is also you know just like them so, um, okay. So, uh, Fett offers money to help Shand and, uh, uh, she gets modded up to save her, uh, to, to save her life. And, uh, I will say that the one thing I liked about this is I liked how, uh, how, uh, Thundercat or whatever his name was, uh, he doesn't have a name in Star Wars, at least in the credits yet. Um, I like how he had that interchangeable hand that he would attach the tools to use. I'm not sure if I like the the montage, but I like I like the idea that like people have modified their bodies uh, to basically interchange their 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 arms for di- different purposes and stuff like that. That seems kind of cool. Um, 
And uh, at the end of the sequence, he says, why would you want to cover up this beautiful machinery? But we know from season two of Mandalorian that she does cover it up. So uh, she doesn't want people knowing that she's a mod, which is interesting. And maybe that'll come into play later. Um, So Fennec wakes up. Boba explains what has happened. She realizes that she's now has robotic enhancements. She at first believes that he is going to turn her in for a bounty, but he promises he didn't save her for the money. He also confides in her that he is Boba Fett, someone that was believed to be dead. Uh, she, she knows the, the the stories of him. It's it's legendary. Uh, he basically recaps his story, which has taken us so far three episodes of this TV series to tell. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, the interesting thing here, I think, is that when he reveals that he got the Tuscan tribe massacred uh, by the speed bikers, that Chan seems amused and says, it's highly unlikely that speed bikers killed the Tuscans. So I know I think I've asked this in, in previous episodes, but Brad, do we still think that the, the bikers killed the Tuscans? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe the implication here, and this could be something that uh, speaks more to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, is that maybe they didn't get all the Tuscans, uh, and so there are still some of them uh, that are alive. And it's also interesting that he blames himself, which I'm sure will come into play going forward. Uh, so Fett asks uh, for Shan's help in retrieving his fire spray gunship from java's palace and this is a ship that was previously known in toys and uh the expanded universe as the slave one but uh has been renamed in in canon i mean it's never been spoken like brian has it ever been said on any of the movies or tv shows slave one i don't think it has but i also i would i would argue with the characteristic I would argue with the characterization that it's been renamed because they haven't offered the name for it. And I don't think they're changing it. I think they're just referring to it in different ways as a matter of sensitivity. I don't know. This, this actually is the first time that I feel like this is them staking their, their claim that it's not officially named the slave one in Canon because they've never actually named it the slave one in any of the media. I think, I think they have. I think it's in some of the the ancillary books and things like that. But in the Dis- the Disney stuff or Yeah, like I think I mean um in the canon um I mean the thing is is like the um Yeah, it's still in the databank. Um Yeah. But that can be changed. Do you think so you think it's still it isn't I think not it's still the slave, slave one. one, but they're just not saying it. And then the toys will all say uh, fire spray gunship or Boba Fett's starship. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I don't think any of us here are mad that they're changing the name of the ship. So um, the Boba Fett starship is what it was labeled in uh, 1980 on the toys. Yeah. But if you go to the Star Wars databank, which is like their official online encyclopedia, yeah, the the URL says Boba Fett Starship, but it's clearly labeled Slave One. Yeah, and here's the thing: I'm I'm not mad about them changing the name. Change the name if you want to. Fine. I do think that their reasoning is a bit weird, 
considering that it it's presumably no one's ever actually said this, but it's presumed because it's called Slave One that that's an insensitive thing because it kind of just makes I don't know uh, a casual reference to the idea of slavery. But slavery is something that is an intricate part of the Star Wars universe because of where Anakin Skywalker comes from. And so I wonder as long as there's a significance tied to the name of the ship, I don't think that there's a problem there. But like, and as we talked about before, it it feels weird for Boba Fett to refer to his ship as fire spray. It would be like Han Solo referring to his ship as, as you know, the Corellian freighter as opposed to the Falcon. So the, I wonder if it's less a matter of sensitivity and more a matter of they're trying to soften Boba Fett's image. And most people watching this have no idea what the hell his ship is called. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's going to get a proper name or do you think they're just going to keep on referring you to the, as the fire spray? I I mean, I think, I think it's going to remain the slave one. They're just going to come up with other ways of saying it. Like let's get back to my starship or, uh, let's go back to the old Boba blaster. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think they'll just, they'll dance around it or even just not even, uh, do it. But, um, in in the context of the scene, though, Boba Fett saying it's my fire spray gunship. When Fennec is looking through it, like, how would she have a frame of reference of what sort of ship it was? In that context, I think Han might refer to his freighter as a YT thirteen hundred, right? Mm-hmm. Like because they she doesn't have a visual understanding of it, and him just telling her the name isn't going to give her any more information about whether or not she spotted it with her spy cam droids. Did he say my fire spray or did he say the fire spray? My. That's what makes it weird to me. If he was if he was trying to identify it out of specificity, you would say. Well, it could be like, you know, you, you know if you say, had a wait, Prius, you could no, be like, oh, we're going to my Prius. No, no one says that. You would someone's someone says if someone says which car is yours and say, oh, it's the Prius. You don't say, oh, it's my Prius. Of course, it's your Prius. I know I'm looking for your car. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. I, I do also want to mention, um, this is fast forwarding a bit that we, then we're going to rewind, um, that when they actually get into Jabba's palace and they, uh, when Boba Fett sees the ship for the first time and he like, there is like this moment in the performance where Tamora is like, uh, he gives a kind of like emotional look at it. And the audio description for that moment says Boba Fett, uh, Oh my god, I forget. I didn't write this down, but it said something like Boba Fett stares at his father's spa- uh, spaceship, which he hasn't seen for a while or, so, or seen for a long time. And I just thought it was interesting that it, it made. Uh, I, I'm probably butchering what it said, but it it, it called it his father's spaceship in, in, which, in that moment, which yeah. tracks with the flashbacks we've been getting of him watching his father take off in that specific ship. Yeah. Okay, so. They can't tell how many guards are there, so they send this small probe droid to scout out the situation, which is kind of this cool thing. It's almost like an FPV drone. It's like a small version of like the probe droid and uh, has this cool sequence where it like kind of goes through the hallways, avoids guards, and uh, then, you know, comes back and uh, they see how many guards and then they decide that they have to go in quietly. So I don't know. I, I felt like it was like this cool setup for something that didn't really uh pay off other than like it looking cool visually i was expecting like um you know someone to notice it and then the alarm gets you know something to go wrong it just i didn't think feel like it paid off 
I think for me, the reason that they put that in there from a storytelling perspective was that um, Boba Fett is this guy who's known to just go in shooting, right? Yeah. And so if they only show four guys on the outside, Boba Fett is going like, why didn't he just shoot his way in? Why is he stealthing his way in? And this is the story point to undercut that complaint to say like, no, they, they checked, they did their due diligence and there's way too many people there for Boba to just go in blasting. Yeah. Okay. So Boba uh, says goodbye to his Vantha, setting it free, telling it to go make babies. Uh, Fett, tells Shand his plans to kill Bib Fortuna and take down, take the throne. And she seems surprised and maybe impressed or skeptical, all three. Uh, they decide to go in and they break in through the sewer. And in Java's palace, there is an EV series droid cooking and a sous chef droid prepping. And they hear a noise and call the rat what? catcher. The say? EV series droid is the sous chef. Oh, is the sous chef. Okay. Um, EV uh, is this EV-99? Because we saw EV-99 in the cantina in Mandalorian, right? We saw – yeah, yeah, we did. Um, I don't think it is. I think they would have called out that it was EV-99. And EV-99 was programmed specifically to be like in charge of droids and torturing them. And this one is labeled very clearly in the subtitles as sous chef droid. Oh, I thought the other one was the suit. The one with all the knives was the sous chef. No, that's, that's a, um, uh, a, a COO series droid, like a cook droid. Um, and, uh, you've seen before in live action before. We have. Those were in Attack of the Clones. They actually, I believe they had a line on the refugee transport that Anakin and Padme were taking. When R2 came to get food for them, he told R2, no droids. Um, but uh, this, uh, the, the sous chef droid is the EV-99 droid. And in the subtitles, it labels all of his dialogue as sous chef. Okay, so they make quick work of the droids, but an LEP droid shows up to catch the rat that was reported earlier. And I feel like, Brad, is this another one of the sequences that you weren't happy with? Oh, you bet it is, because right in the middle of my Star Wars show, they put a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> and I love Tom and Jerry, but I hated this. Oh, man, did I hate this. This is like, I know that there's some silly droid stuff and some, some goofy comedy in Star Wars, especially when it comes to the prequels, but this... This is a joke and a bad joke. And it turns Boba Fett into a, a goofy human sized cat chasing a dumb droid that chases rats. And it is stupid, stupid, stupid. I'm sorry. I hate it. I I loved this. this of course so, you so did, Brian. Tell Brian me why. Loves the prequels, so this these, is the most these, prequely sequence we've seen in, in these little. Universe. These little bunny droids sort of traditionally through the Clone Wars have been really hilarious in really menacing situations like in the the Blue Shadow Virus crisis. Um, one of them basically has a bomb that's going to kill kill and poison Padme and Ahsoka, but it's just adorable and hilarious. Um, and there are a number of other instances of these droids. And so, like, I was just delighted to see one in live action, but. How badass is it that Boba Fett can use his classic line from his first appearance in the holiday special, just saying like, I am Boba Fett and the droid just kills himself, just shuts himself off. That's funny to me. Like, that's a good joke. Here's the thing. 
I will admit that that moment was a, was a good one, and I don't mind the existence of the droid and him bringing comedy to Star Wars, but it's the execution of it in such a cartoonish Looney Tunes fashion, and the fact that it makes Boba Fett look supremely goofy uh, that I didn't like about it. It's just it feels completely out of place and was just super weird and dumb to me. Okay, uh, they find the fire spray ship in the hangar and take out a bunch of guards. Boba powers up the ship and Fennec holds off the guards, jumps on. She, They have this whole, I mean, this, it, it's a cool action sequence. And I like how she uh, takes out the gonk droid, which is uh, which kind of blows up and uh, kills some of the guards. And so, yeah, uh, Brian, what did you think of this whole sequence? I thought the sequence was cool. It was exciting and... Uh, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to, which was actually really um, interesting because in my head, I thought that Boba was going to jump onto the ship and basically pull the same maneuver he did against Obi-Wan when his dad was out there fighting him. And it, it just didn't work out that way. And it made it difficult for him to like it created obstacles and it created a really cool action set piece with her on the the ramp trying to fight guys off. And uh, I think this is one of the better action sequences we've seen on this show. I agree. I just wish it wasn't so dark. It's hard to see stuff, Brian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So they escape in the fire spray. Fett offers to drop Shand off wherever she wants. But she offers to tag along and uh, help him out. I have, and... some, I have some gripes before we uh, move to. Okay, go, go, go ahead. Uh, first of all, I, it's interesting to note that I think that they beefed up this sequence um, compared to what they had maybe originally envisioned based on the concept art. Because I don't know if you noticed in the concept art, uh, but in, there's a, a piece of um, art that shows Boba Fett pulling like a big shroud or tarp, what have you off the slave one. And there's only like a single dead guard laying in the docking bay with Fennec Shan standing next to it. So it seems like at one point they might have had a much easier time getting his ship out of there. And on top of that, they also changed where the docking bay for ships at Jabba's palace actually is in relation to the palace, because there's a, there's another piece of art that shows the slave one or the fire spray, um, leaving the the docking bay and the entrance seems to be on the side of the main uh, palace building that we have constantly seen in the horizon shots of the palace in the desert. So they changed, I think a lot about the sequence, including like how the ship has difficulty maneuvering out of uh, the docking bay itself, which I thought was like either just, I don't know, poorly designed, at least in practicality, or maybe Boba Fett's ship is just so cumbersome that only like a ship like this has a supreme difficulty getting out of this kind of garage because the fact that he has to hover like that so slowly across the um, the entrance and also has difficulty turning the ship there uh, like and has to be so careful getting out of there just seems super inconvenient and unnecessary and more of like a, a contrived challenge to make it more difficult for them to get out. I also think this makes it sort of like. It, it 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 strains the credulity of the timeline that like Bib Fortuna has taken over Jabba's palace for years and there's just this old clunker in his garage. He's not going to move. That's a lot of prime real estate in his garage there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for them to just let it rust and not do anything with it, like either it's Bib Fortuna poorly. didn't even put a rancor in, in, in the dungeon. He's he's not properly. He does not know how to properly use the space of, of the building he has. <laughs> 
he has purchased. Yeah, but I mean, like now in this, Boba Fett's telling us he spent a couple of years with the Tuscans. Maybe Boba or maybe Bib gained and lost, uh, you know, a dozen rancors in that time. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you do mention that, that he said all those years ago. So that kind of gives us our best guess at where this is in the timeline, because this takes place probably around the time of the end of Mandalorian season two. And so uh, this, this was also something that made me think about, like, how it seems like it's going to be kind of a waste to not have flashbacks anymore. Because if, like, I feel like they would have been much, it would, it would serve them better to leave a lot of that time open for exploring if it really was years. Like, does that mean that he spent years in the Sarlacc pit? Or did he merely spend years with, like, the Tusken Raiders and wandering the desert and that kind of thing? Like, I don't know if they're leaving, like, that passage of time a little more vague so that they can do something with it. But like, if they're not going to do flashbacks anymore, I don't understand what the point of that is and why you wouldn't try and utilize it in some capacity for storytelling. I don't think he spent years in the Sarlacc pit. I think it's probably, I don't know. His time with the Tuscans felt like it was such a short period of maybe a couple months, but maybe it was more than a year. What, what do you think, Brian? Maybe the Sarlacc plays with his sense of time. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Like the timeline here doesn't work and yeah. I don't think it'll ever work. And I don't think they're ever going to con- commit to events that say specifically, this is specifically three years after return of the Jedi or five years or seven years or whatever. They're just, they're not going to have any major events that anybody else is allowed to play with around it so that it can't affect anything else. Yeah. Okay, so they end up going and they find the speed bikers and take them out in such a quick fashion. I, I was kind of not expecting them to all get decimated so fast, uh, but, but I guess that happened. And it almost feels unsatisfying, which also leads me to believe that they aren't the people responsible for the Tuscans, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and, and then we get the scene, a scene that I was not expecting where... Boba Fett and, uh, returns to the Sarlacc pit because he doesn't remember the Jawas stealing his armor after he escaped the pit. And uh, he uses the fire spray to try to retrieve the Beskar armor that he thinks is in the pit, but it's not in the pit. And we get this whole sequence that's kind of like um, like the space slug sequence in A New Hope a little bit. But worse. And, uh, but worse? Yes. This sequence doesn't make <laughs> sense. Why would you fly the Slave One over the Sarlacc pit in such a fashion to allow it to grab you with tentacles? You know it's alive. You know what it can do. You know that it almost killed you. Why would you give it a chance to ruin the ship that you just got back? So there was a line of dialogue where they thought that it looked decimated and I th- or it, like it, it had faded away. And I really liked actually the moment where they sort of rely on that prejudice against the special editions where for me, I can look at it and go like, ah, the beak is gone. It must be, it must be dead. And then they get in there and it's, and they use the beak as a jump scare down its gullet. and No, it's actually really alive. I would agree with you. Had they not had that line where Boba and Fennec had said like, essentially like, Oh, we, we, we assume it's dead. I don't know. It still seems like a risk to me. And I just think that it's, they could have gone about this in a much easier fashion. That was less risky. 
I see both sides of this. I think it was a fun sequence. I'm not sure it makes the uh, complete sense. And and, uh, it's, I, all, and it's honestly for me too. Like it just feels like a waste of time because again, it, and like we talked about this before, like the series has started to become marred by the fact that we there's no stakes as far as what his character is doing now and also no danger because we know he's going to survive this we know he's going to keep his ship we know he's going to get his armor back we know the armor's not there so who cares like what's going on here and why that's that's a great point because it's like i thought the point of the scene was going to be him learning that the jawas had it somehow which would have given the scene a point i thought the same thing but that doesn't happen but then he leaves and it's like okay i guess he's going to go on that quest later I mean, he did. They did release the seismic charge into the Sarlacc. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing killing the Sarlacc. And that, maybe the only yeah. good reason to have this scene exist is because, man, do I love those seismic charges. <laughs> here, 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 here. But, but on a, on a per point basis, if you if I was describing the show and the show that like you know, uh, there's so many Star Wars fans that are like I. I'm so upset that this is not the Bubba Fett that I wanted. If I was like, he escapes the Sarlacc pit, he breaks into J- uh, Jabba's palace, he steals uh, the Slave One, and he takes the Slave One, he goes to Sarlacc, and he drops the seismic charge in there and blows it up. I feel like if I was a kid, and uh, the, my version of, uh, of Bubba Fett, that would be the show I wanted. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. is, And this is kind of just the overarching criticism, I think, of the show. is like, all of this sounds very cool conceptually and in theory but it's the execution that is fumbling it yeah yeah okay so fed is unable to find his armor there and we already know that story so why why rehash it he uh invites shand to be part of his regime uh offering his loyalty in an investment in the operation and uh she comments uh, that living with the tuscans made him soft and he responds that it made him strong. You can only get so far without a tribe. And I find this funny because as we I've been mentioning uh, this episode, there's a, a huge I don't want to say huge. There's a there's a very vocal Star Wars fan base that is kind of not happy with the show. They think that Fett is not the the bounty hunter that they wanted to that they remember. And he, he I, I would imagine them calling him soft in it almost feels to me that John Favreau knew that that was going to happen and wrote this line in there for them. But maybe, maybe I'm reading too, too far into that. Um, I think, I think you're right. And I think that the issue that still exists, even if you buy into this change for the character and like a new direction for him is that we just haven't spent enough time with the character and to under, to understand him beyond being a mysterious faceless threat to Han Solo and the Rebel Alliance to truly care about that change in him as a character. And I feel like there needed to be something before this, or there needs to be something that fills in his past more thoroughly that allows us to latch on to him, to care about this change in him as a character. Yeah. Okay. We get a montage of Bubba and Fennec taking out Bib Fortuna and taking the throne. Bubba wakes uh, from the back to pod and a droid informs him that he's completely healed. Uh, which I think is another indication that uh, he doesn't need the back to tank anymore. So why is he going to have these dreams any further? Uh, and uh, after he says, uh, you're completely healed, he says, what about the scars on the inside? Or, or she, uh, uh, Fennec says that to him. He says, those take longer. And I'm sure that's what this show is going to be about. 
in the long term. Uh, Fett asks about the status of the mayor's major domo. Is informed that he's singing like a yuzum. What is a yuzum? It's a it's a a yuzum. Yuzum. And yeah, and this is uh, Joe Yauza is a yuzum. And Joe Yauza was one of the lead singers of the reformed special edition Max Rebo band. <laughs> uh, I- I'll say this. You know, a lot of people do not like the special editions. I, my only, the only part, I actually like the special editions. The only part I do not like in the special editions is that one scene in Return of the Jedi. I don't it, know what the Joe Yuzum, like the, the Jabba's Palace thing? Yeah, yeah. So for me, the story point remains the same, so ultimately it doesn't matter, and the story point is that Jabba has terrible taste in music. <laughs> it just feels so contemporary, I think, is my problem. It's some of my problem with some of the jokes in Last Jedi, which I know I'm not going to get either of you to agree with. Um, but I feel like sometimes like when you add contemporary into the mix, it doesn't feel Star Wars to me. But, um, okay. Anyways, let's move on uh, because we're running out of time. Uh, the mods are searching the streets for the mayor but have not found him so far. And Fett gets armored up and makes an appearance in town to show his presence. And that's when he runs into Black K at the sanctuary. Black K has this huge altercation with some Trandoshans gambling. And I got to admit, I don't quite understand why this altercation started. Um, so this is actually something that comes that that's rooted in the Star Wars lore, uh, and and we saw a little bit of it in the first episode when Doc Strassi, who is one of those Trandoshans, at least according to the credits, brings Boba Fett tribute. It's a Wookiee pelt, and the Trandoshans have long been the natural enemies of the Wookies and hunt them for sport. And Wookies don't like that. And when you have a big unstable Wookie getting drunk, staring at Trandoshans, having a good time some arms are going to get pulled off. What is up with Wookiees pulling arms off uh, characters? Like, why, why is that a thing in Star Wars? Because George Lucas mentioned it in the first screenplay as a throwaway, and now it's a thing. Now it's a thing. I, I thought it was just a Chewbacca thing, but apparently it's a it's a Wookiee thing. Well, yeah, because Han Solo says that's because Wookiee doesn't... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, or because the droid doesn't pull people's arm sockets out when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. Yeah, I think the key here, too, is Garza intervenes and tries to convince Black K to let the Trandoshan go and even offers to clear his his rather large bar tab if he'll let him go. And the fact that Black K has loyalty to his people and his moral code and cares about that more than money, I think, shows something to Boba Fett, and that's why he offers him a job. At least that's how I read it. But I I read it as though like the only reason he was there was to offer him a job because okay. he walks in, watch watches the fight, like Boba's Boba's only there to watch the fight, and walks out after him, like he didn't have any other business there, nor any reason to be in the scene other than we needed nominally a point of view character, maybe. <laughs> but like he he doesn't have a reason to be there at all other than he was seeking out Kersantan. Well, oh, yeah. uh, well, aside from the fact that he wanted his face seen in town. Yeah. 
It said that in the previous, it, 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 I don't know. I'm not sure if it makes that much sense. But anyways, so Black Hay is now with them, and they have uh, Jabba's former captains are all gathered at a table in Jabba's palace, and Boba Fett makes an offer to not touch them, not not touch their territories, not ask for tributes, and in exchange for them not helping the Pike Syndicate. So he wants uh, to form an alliance with them, just, uh, you know, he won't go after them as long as they do not help the pikes and uh when one of them challenged that the rancor in the dungeon below makes some noise and they all choose to abide and um is uh brian is there anything interesting about the groups that are here i think it's the three families that they've been talking about this whole yeah the clatoonians the trandoshans and the aqualish um that they've been talking about the whole time and uh yeah there's nothing necessarily special about them they haven't been overly um introduced prior to to this um so they're they're new for this yeah rodriguez is again playing doc strassi and uh i do want to mention that phil lamar has a second role as a Clatoonian uh, boss here. So he has a second role in this season of the Book of Boba Fett, uh, which is funny. Anyways, uh, so Fett knows his knows his deal is better than anything that the Pikes could offer them. But for now, they need to prepare for war. Shan suggests that they use their credits to buy some muscle. And probably the most exciting moment of this episode comes out at the very end where the music begins to swell and it's the the music from the Mandalorian theme begins to play and uh, kind of insinuating that we might see Din Jaren maybe in the next episode. Uh, what do you, before we get into speculation on that and stuff, do you guys have any final thoughts on this episode? Um, well, the, 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 the end is kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to get into the speculation on that. Okay. So, uh, okay, let's 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 talk about that, Brad. Do you think this means that we're going to see the Mandalorian in, in episode five? I mean, that seems to be uh, be the implication, or at the very least, uh, at some point before the end of the season, we will um, see Boba Fett reaching out to the Mandalorian and asking him for help, uh, likely for a price, uh, because that theme is unmistakably from Ludwig Göransson. And uh, it definitely comes at a time when they Boba Fett is thinking about the kind of muscle they're going to need to help them in this forthcoming war with the Pike Syndicate. So I believe so. Yes, I I thought that all this was going to. I mean, they told us it was going to interconnect, and that they're building kind of a, like a Mandalorian verse of sorts, almost like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that things were going to connect and go, come together. And I, I really expected at the end of this season that we we're going to see the Mandalorian show up and like maybe ask Boba Fett for his help or something like that. Um, I wasn't expecting that we would see this happen so early. Yeah, Brian, I, do you have any thoughts on this? I thought the same thing. I, you know, I wonder if I mean next episode is next episode is um, Filoni's, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, that's what the speculation has been: is that episode five is the Filoni written episode. Oh, I thought it was the the Pentol. Or maybe it's seven. Maybe seven. Yeah. No, uh, isn't it? I think I think it's only seven episodes. Is it seven episodes? Oh my god! That's I'm... what that's what uh, Lucasfilm's PR 
folks told me today. Yeah, it's a it's, that, IMDb has seven episodes as well. Oh yeah, you're right, um, Evan. So episode six. But yeah, yeah so, so, so the next episode's episode five. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I'm still um, right. So did, didn't tomorrow Morrison that... specifically say wait and just wait until episode seven? Like something big was coming. Yeah. Um. And and so the thing is though is that like. For me, Din Jaren wouldn't be the big surprise. And I kept looking about what other muscle that like Boba Fett would be able to rely on in a way that would be really exciting to fans. And yes, Din Jaren and that group of folks and the music sort of lends itself to that. But like there are the entire group of like Clone Wars era folks that he had hung out with, whether that was um, Dengar uh, Aura Singh, who's dead now. Cad Bane, who could be alive now. We don't know. He would look um, so weird in live action. I was gonna, I was actually going to say, I think that even though obviously it's great to see Mando, you know, come back in some capacity. I think the show needs it personally, but it would be cool to see some of those other bounty hunters who or Zuckus, yeah, like Zuckus, a, boss, IG-88. Yeah. yeah. And, and those are the ones, those are the other ones I thought of him knowing of muscle, but who knows? Um, but I do think the Mandalorian could bring his whole group of people or Boba could go after, you know, Death Watch or not Death Watch, uh, Bo-Katan and her night owls and stuff like that. Who knows? He could bring in some Mandalorian muscle. We'll know next week. Do, do we really need like now that we have Black K, we got the mods, we got Fennec Shan, we got the Gamorrean guards. Do we really need to beef up this team with like Bosk or Dengar? Or- I think. I think, well, I think it would be interesting to actually, like, they establish how much Kersantan hates Trandoshans for them to bring Bosk in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, That would create an interesting dynamic. But the other thing I'm thinking, though, is that the Pikes, the character in this Mando universe that has had the most dealings with the Pikes as recently as, um, in at least release order, um, is Ahsoka. I mean, it would make sense to connect in that way. So you think your theory, you're putting it out there. Your theory is episode six, the Filoni directed episode. We're going to see Ahsoka. Maybe. I don't know. Like, again, <laughs> like I say that I feel like I say this every week, but like every this is a universe that brought Darth Maul back to life. And then they tossed Luke Skywalker in the second episode of Mandalorian. Nothing is off the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be robotic Uncle Owen or something. Who knows? <laughs> They're going to bring the the undead moisture farmers back. Um, what about Cobb Vanth? I that was actually something. Losing the flashbacks was really disappointing. The one part of Boba Fett's thing that I wanted to see more of was the flashback of Cobb Vanth trying to like using the armor to take out those miners and Boba Fett trying to track him down for that from there. That was the part of the story I wanted to see. And it seems like with them like healing them, that's the one part like they're skipping. Uh, I do want to bring up again that um, that actor was on one of the late night shows during the time that this this uh, show was taping and he had his uh, the same look as Cobb Vanth going. Although to be fair, so. that, that is like a normal haircut. So yeah, yeah. maybe maybe he got it and was just like, I, hey, I like this haircut. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, uh, 
Brad, do you have anything else to say about the Mandalorian coming in here or any bounty hunters? Um, like I said, I think the show needs a Mandalorian at this point. Like we, uh, it needs some kind of uptick. This, this episode, I think, was a, a low point for me. I was really disappointed in it. Um, I need something to latch onto. I need, I need stakes. I need proper character motivation. I need something interesting to happen with Boba Fett that isn't just a backstory that I could have just assumed happened. I, I mean, I need, you know, uh, something emotional to latch onto. I, I want something of substance in this show. And there have been little hints and potential uh, starts of paths that can take us down there, but they haven't gone in a satisfying direction. So I just, I'm hoping for something more. As, as much as I'm enjoying this way more than Brad, I agree completely with, I need my hooks into something more character-based and more uh, like dramatic. It's just cool stuff to look at is really what this show has been so far. Yeah, because I and I, I want to say I haven't like disliked or hated, um, you know, what's been happening for the most part. This was the first episode where I felt like I really disliked most of what happened. So I, I just, I'm just I'm starting to get frustrated now. Yeah, I'm hopeful that now that we are past what we know, um, maybe there'll be more characters. There'll definitely be more stakes because now we don't. We're not just filling in the gaps. Do you know what I mean? Now, now people could die if they want. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that Boba Fett's not going to die, but but he could <laughs> if, if we wanted to. Um, I don't know. I, I almost wonder if this – we always are ta- trying to figure out what the arc is of this, and he, he went from a place where he – lost his armor and he went to the Tuscans and he decided he was no longer going to be a hunter, no longer going to be a bounty hunter. And he didn't need his armor anymore. And he came to a place where he thinks he, he believes he needs the armor for anybody to take him seriously for him to take over um, this throne and stuff like that. I wonder if the arc at the end of the day for, for this character is for him to learn that he doesn't need the armor and he needs to move past his father. It's like Tony Stark, like if you're nothing without the suit, then maybe, maybe, maybe you don't deserve it. Yeah. But maybe Cobb Vanth could end up with the suit. Do you know what I mean? Like he moves on to something, something else. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to give up his dad's legacy like that. I think he's too wrapped up in his dad. And I don't think you can do Boba Fett without at least some kind of armor. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like if Iron Man really did, you know, end up giving up all of his suits and and no matter how hard he tried he never really did yeah yeah fair enough okay uh i do want to say that we we know dave filoni is directing episode six and we know bryce dallas howard is directing one of the episodes i'm guessing she's going to be directing the next episode so we have someone else on deck for the probably the finale we got to assume that's like going to be rodriguez again right or filoni or not Filoni, Favreau. Favreau? Could be Favreau. Do we know if Favreau, Brad, have we heard if Favreau is directing any of the episodes? I think that he said that he that he was, uh, there was news out there that he was directing at least one episode. Okay. That would be good because uh, I have not liked the Rodriguez episodes so far. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, that does it for the speculation, unless you guys have anything else to say. And it seems like 
That is not the case. Okay, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.